Well, before I get into that, that's chapter 38 and 39. Before I get into that, chapter 37 in Ezekiel, right before it, we're not going to really go into it too deep. But chapter 37 is the Valley of Dry Bones. It's where he's lifted up and given a vision. He's standing over a valley of dry bones, and the Lord says to him, you know, can these bones live? And he says, Lord, you know. Well, that whole chapter of 37 has to do with the nation of Israel being reborn which is what we saw happen when, when Israel became a nation again. That whole chapter was, and keep in mind, that was 2,700 years ago, was written, and it, it lays out perfectly Israel becoming a nation again. Why I brought that up? Because it's important to know that 37 talks about the nation being reborn, and then instantly now he's taken to another vision of this. So we're... And with the world in shambles the way it is today and things going around, God's moving in the world. I mean, he is. If, 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 if you are a skeptic, you can't be anymore because he is definitely moving. And when we go through this, we'll see a lot of things. But chapter 38 was written over 2,700 years ago. And I'm just going to get right into reading it because there's a lot to cover. We won't get to 39. We'll do 39 next week. There's a lot to cover in this. So, chapter 38 starts here in verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, that's Ezekiel, set thy face against Kog, the land of Magog, the, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. First thing I want to point out is, Gog is not a name. It is a title. The first thing I want to talk about, it is not a name, it's a title. It is talking, it's a title of someone who would be a political and military leader. Not like our president. Our president is political and military, but he's not the ultimate leader of the military. He can't, the president doesn't have unreigned power to do whatever he wants with the military. He has to have approval. This is describing someone, the cog is somebody who has all power in political and all power in the military. So that's the kind of dictator this is talking about. So first off, remember, Cog is a title, not a name. Also, it is spoken of in Genesis chapter 10, but I want to show you real quick, before we get into this, Gog is modern-day Russia. It is it's undisputed. If you look at the old maps where they would have dictated this area, it's modern-day Russia. And you'll see as we go through. Now he says in, in verse 4, And I will turn thee back. And I'm going to stop right there. This is indicating the original language that this person was, was, was not willing to go this way. He was looking this direction. So the Lord says to him that God is going to do something that's going to turn him around. What is implied is, would be, whatever's going on back here, I'm not looking at it this way. But God's going to do something to cause Cog to turn around. And it says, And I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws. That's what I mean. So the, the implication is here that this person, this whoever it is, is going this way. And God is going to cause something to hook him and turn him around and draw his attention to it. So keep that in mind. He says, And put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth. And all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, and all of them handling swords. 
Basically, 2,700 years ago, Ezekiel now is trying to describe to us a modern-day war. So everything he's telling us, he's trying to give us a picture of a modern-day battle. And then in verse 5, it says, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Anybody know the modern-day name of ancient Persia? Persia. Who, who, what was that? It is Iran. That is correct. Iran. We'll see you down here. Now, Ethiopia, it's still here today. It means Ethiopia, but back then it was a larger area. It encompassed all the way down to the Sudan River. And do you recognize the word Libya? Libya? Yep. We know we know Libya, right? Alright. But it's a region that's not limited to the Libya area. It's, it's bigger in the old times. It would be, we would be talking about the entire north, northern cap of Africa, is what they would be referring to here. The entire northern cap of Africa. So, so the leader is going to get turned around, this Gog is going to get turned around, and he's going to be, something's going to, he's going to draw his attention to something, and all of these people are going to go with him. But what I want you to notice is all of the nations that are mentioned here, other than Russia, all the nations that are mentioned here, guess what religion they are? They're Muslim. Every nation mentioned here is Muslim. Russia is not, but the entire coalition is, is Muslim. So, it goes on in verse 6. Gomer and all his bands, the house of Torgamoth of the north quarters and all his bands and many people there. So basically, all the nations around Turkey and to the north. So all the nations that are surrounding Turkey and going north, he's talking about here. Torgamoth. The reason we know it's Turkey is because Torgamoth is the ancient tribal name of Turkey. Back in the ancient days, when they were referring to Turkey, it was known as the House of Torgamoth. So that is the ancient name of modern-day Turkey. And he tells them, be thou prepared, and prepare for thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be a guard unto them. Here's where it gets interesting. In that verse, he's talking to God. He's talking about God. God. He's talking to God. Okay? And he's telling them to be a guard for them. Now, we hear that word guard, and we're like, that's cool. You know, he's going to protect them, right? He's going he's to be guarding them with a shield. However, that is not what the word means in Hebrew. In Hebrew, this word is mishmar, which means to be a supplier and provider. You get the picture here? So basically what it's saying is, it's telling Gog, all of these, these nations that are with you, that are going to go with you, that have been coming into your coalition, you are going to be their supplier and provider. Do we not? We see that today. Okay. So, who is the supplier again? Russia. Gog. Russia. They're the supplier. Okay. Who is the prince of Meshach and Tubal? That's what he's called, right? It says Gog, the prince of Meshach and Tubal. So, Gog being the title, he is the prince of this region, Meshach and Tubal, or Rosh, if you want to call him, which is the entire northern area of Russia. What it indicates is that it's the region far north. 
If you would take a map and you would put a pen on Israel and draw a string to the far north that you could go, guess where you would land? Russia. You'd land on Russia. So all the historical names and all the descriptions clearly indicate that Cog is Russia. Okay? And it says, here's what he's going to do. After many days, thou shalt be visited. In the latter years, thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel. Who is he talking about there? It says, which have always been waste, but is brought forth out of the nations that they shall dwell safely in all of them. What this verse is saying is, you are going to come down against the people who were scattered and are now together. So who is he describing? He's describing Israel. He's the people that was dispersed all throughout the world. And I love how it says here, it, basically in the end, they'll be brought back as a nation. So the language indicates that this is bringing us into end times. How long ago did Israel become a nation? Does anybody remember the day? 1948, 47. And that was a sign that indicates we are in the end times, because it says, in the end, I will bring my people back together from all points of the world. That's why I will talk about 37, so you can see the dry bones is what I was talking about. But interestingly, in, in our time, like I said, we're bound by time, so everything goes on in, in time for us. But in prophecy, it goes from the dry bones right to this battle. So that's an indication that it's a very quick happening event. To us, it doesn't seem quick because, you know, 20 years to us is like forever. But in, in an idea of scripture or God's time, it's extremely quick. I always say this too. If you're a skeptic about prophecy, this verse alone right here will, should destroy it. Because I'll ask you this. True or false? Was Israel scattered all over the world? True or false? Did they have no land? Okay. True or false? Were they all brought back together into a nation? Okay. And true or false? Do they dwell safely today? They do dwell safely, actually. We'll see. They dwell completely. Israel, believe it or not, Israel has no fear. They don't live in fear in their country. They don't worry about what's going around with them. Israel's already proven that they can uh, defend themselves. All right. But what the reason is, so God, the, the verse prophesies that in the end times, I'm going to take a people that was scattered all over the world, and I'm going to bring them back together as one nation. Matter of fact, if you read chapter 37, it talks about the two reeds, and he joins the reeds together, and he says the reeds become one. What he's talking about is bringing them out of the world and bringing them back into their nation. So if anybody ever tells you, you know, well, you know, how could the Bible be true? Go right here. There's no denying that prophecy, and it was fulfilled exactly to the T. Israel is, Israel is, they're prospering in their land. I don't know how much you guys study that. Israel today, I talked about this, they have the largest gas discovery ever, ever found in their land. They also have one of the largest oil discoveries in their land. I mean, both of these are beyond huge. I can't even, they're huge. We don't have what they have. They have enough oil and gas that they could sustain themselves for 1,500 years on what's been found in their land that's no bigger than what? 
New Jersey. Not to mention also, they're geniuses, right? If you don't know this, more Nobel Prize winners have been Jewish than any other person. So Israel is, is they're, they're, they're prospering. And it's a country, like you said, the size of New Jersey. Here's something else interesting. Israel blankets all of Europe with fruits and vegetables. All of them. If uh, they are the number one supplier of fruits and vegetables to the entire European continent. Israel. Size of New Jersey. You see the blessing? You see the prospering going on? He goes on. Verse 9. Now he's talking to Cog again. He's telling him what's, what, what he's going to do. He says, Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm. Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land. Thy and all thy bands and many people with thee. Thus saith the Lord God, It shall also come to pass that at the same time shall things come into thy mind and thou shalt think evil. So what he's telling him is, I'm going, you're going to go after this country. You're going to do it. And Something's going to come in your mind that's going to make you want to do it. And he keeps going. And thou shalt say, I will go to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are rest and that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. To take spoil and to take prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate place that are now inhabited, and upon the people that are gathered out of nations which have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land. The whole thing here, as he's saying, is the reason you're going to do this is because you think you're going to plunder some beauty. You're going to get some wealth. So this is what? So all of this coliation, the idea is, he's, the, the prophecy of Ezekiel, God's saying, the reason they're going to do this is because they see the wealth. Think back in the day when, uh, when kings went after lands. They didn't pay their soldiers, right? Why did the soldiers go fight? Because they knew if they won, they get the spoils, right? They get to go through there and take all the gold and the silver. So that's what it's saying here. So look, Israel just found all of this stuff, right? They're prospering like no other nation. And now God's prophesying that I'm going to put a hook in Cog's mouth to make him turn around and look at them. And, and, and he's going to want to go, an evil thought, because I'm going to go take that wealth. Everybody reads that and they're like, why would God do that? Why would God turn this person around and make them look at this? And the answer will come in chapter 39. But Israel's discovery is so huge that we just talked about. They just agreed with most of Europe to be the supplier of their natural gas at a much lower price. And here's the thing. Do you know anything about history right now? Who supplies their gas? Russia. And see, Russia supplies it at an extremely high price. And they're very dictator about it. They will they threaten to shut the gas off if you don't pay for it. So, with that in mind, do you think Russia is going to sit back and let Israel take a third of their wealth? Is this the hook that pulls the cog, that turns them around? Is this what God's prophesying about? Is this the hook? Because right now, Russia has no interest in, in, in what do they care about Israel. But they do now. Because you don't know anything about Russia. Russia is a money-driven country. Well, a money-driven leader. Putin, we're going to talk about in a minute. But now, 
Israel is threatening its very existence by the prosperity that God gives them. So I always ask everybody, is this the hook? Is this what's going to turn him around? Is this what's going to make Cog go, wait a minute, here's Israel? Verse 13, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish. I want to stop there. Sheba and Dedan. They've always been known. The whole world has actually known them. Do you guys know who Sheba and Dedan are? You are correct. Here's how it became about. Um, after World War II, much of the land was redistributed. When the war was over, you know, there was a, remember back in, they had a lot of mess. There was stuff everywhere. So they redistributed lands. And Sheba and Dedan was given to a family back then, that land. And it was a Saudi family that it was given to, Saudi Arabia. So when it speaks of Saudi Arabia, that's what it's speaking of here, Saudi Arabia. So it's basically telling us here that Israel and Saudi Arabia are going to be friends. They're going to be friends. And I'm like, wait a minute. Do you know that Saudi Arabia sent Israel a happy Hanukkah? They sent them an actual happy Hanukkah blessing. Israel and Saudi Arabia are, are friends. And scripture said this would happen. Prior to this, they were not friends. But now, they're becoming friends. As scripture said. Because it says, Sheba and Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, with all the young lions thereof, shall say unto thee, shall say under Cog, are you come to take spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey? To carry away the silver and gold? To take away cattle and goods? To take great spoil? Therefore, son of man, Ezekiel, Prophesy and say unto Cog, Thus saith the Lord, In that day when my people of Israel dwelleth safely, shalt thou not know it. And thou shalt come from thy place out of the northern parts, thou and many people with thee, and all of them ride upon horses, a great company, and a mighty armor. When it says the northern parts, the Hebrew word means north as far as you can go. Again, he's referring directly to Russia. Because it is a completely farthest north from Israel. So he's talking about Russia. You're gonna, you, it says, here's something else interesting. The title, Cog, that's not something we would use. We don't, that's not a word we run around using, right? But what is a word that we use is the word czar. You know what that means? If I said that's a czar, that means he's like the ultimate power, right? The ultimate leader of that area. That's what the word means. That's how we know it's a title and not a name. So, it's, it's, it's Russia. There's no denying it. All the biblical accounts, descriptions, mapped out, laid out. Cog is the title of the person from that area who's the prince of Tubal and Mishesh, which is Russia. Side note. You know, they evaluated Putin's wealth. Do you know that Putin is the richest man in the world? Didn't know that, did you? He's worth over $100 billion. Didn't know that, did you? Nobody did. We don't really pay attention. Here's something else interesting. He's a guy who was born on the streets of Russia. All right? He, he, was, he was a street thug, if you want to use our terms. And he come from not a very good family. So he kind of had to claw his way through to power. I mean, 
He's actually quite remarkable. If you think about the accomplishments he's done, it's quite remarkable. But we see now, because God has a plan. That's why. God has a plan. In fact, if he is the one, if he is, I'm not saying he is, I'm saying he could be, it kind of looks like it, right? I'm not saying he's the one. Maybe there's another one that comes along that's the one. But for now, he fits the bill. And uh, also, you know, we're not talking about the Antichrist, right? Everybody understands that. We're not talking about the Antichrist here. We're talking about, we're talking about Cobb, not the Antichrist. Verse 16, I'm going to read through these few next verses because there's a lot we're going to talk about. And thou shalt come up against my people of Israel and come as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the latter days. The only time scripture uses that kind of language, in the latter days, it means in the end times. Okay? So he's telling you that this is going to happen in the latter days. And remember, in Revelation, we just left off after that midpoint when the peace has been broken and the, it gave us the image of Satan with the water coming out of his mouth to destroy the woman who gave birth to the children. This is the, this is the battle. We, how many talk about the battle of Armageddon? Okay? There's actually, and we'll talk about it later, there's actually two parts to that battle. Armageddon is just not one battle like Hollywood has, has made it believe. That, you know, we're all, people going to be on the earth to be the battle of Armageddon. This is actually a physical battle, yes. And it is, it is Armageddon, but it's not really Armageddon. Because Armageddon, we're going to see in Revelation, is more of a spiritual battle. Because it talks about the demons. This is, remember when we went through the seals, how the first couple seals involved man doing something to cause it to happen? But then the last seals, man had no involvement in it. It was all God. This is kind of like the Armageddon battle. This man has something to do with it. Man has a part to play. But later on in that battle, man has no part. He becomes spiritual. So this is why we're looking at this. And it says, again, And thou shalt my people come against my people as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the latter days. And I will bring thee against my land. Whose land? So whose land is Israel? God's. says my land. He doesn't say your land or my people's land. He clearly says here, I will bring you against my land. So that right there should squash any idea that Israel is not God's That the church has replaced Israel. Because he, if that was the case, God wouldn't declare that in the end days, you, I am going to cause you to go against my land. It's interesting that God is causing this to happen. He's allowed, he's actually moving things and adjusting things and converging things to make this happen. That's why I said about the election. No matter what happens, it's part of the plan. It's absolutely part of the plan. Even though it, it's going to taste terrible to us, whatever comes out of it, it's part of the plan. And as a Christian, our responsibility is to recognize it's part of the plan and just continue praying. Not to be, and you know, I'm, I'm not... I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it, it, there's tons of a Christian's response to what's going on in an election should not be that. Okay? It should be who's still in control? God still sits on the throne. We know just from right here, you can, and this was 2,700 years ago that he laid this out. So you don't think he hasn't laid this out? So that's what we're talking about here. And he says, Thus says the Lord God. 
Art thou he of whom I have spoken in old time by my servants, the prophets of Israel, which prophesied in those days many years that I will bring thee against them? And it shall come to pass, at the same time when Cog shall come against the land of Israel, saith the Lord God, that my fury shall come up in my face. We're going to talk about that a little more. For in my jealousy and in fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel. So that the fishes of the seas and the fowls of the heaven and the beasts of the field and, and all creeping things upon the earth and all the men and upon the face of the earth shall shake my presence and the mountains shall be thrown down and the steep places shall fall and every, every wall shall fall to the ground. We just read that in Revelation. And he says, and I will call for a sword against him throughout my mountains, saith the Lord God. Every man's sword shall be against his brother. So all of that, what we just read, sum it all up. What God's saying is, I'm going to put a hook in you. I'm going to turn you around. I'm going to give you evil thoughts to plunder my land. And you're going to do it. And you're going to take these people with you. But guess what? Before you get there, you're going to kill each other. Brother against brother is going to go after each other. You're going to kill each other. Now, and everybody's like, well, that's kind of far-fetched. No, it's not. If you look back in history, when nations were going after, did they not kill each other? Because I want to spoil, not you. So what I get an image of is all of these nations, okay, Turkey, Turkmenistan, you know, here, all over Gomer, Tarshish, Moshesh, they're all together. They're all swooping down on Israel. They're all going there because they think they're going to get some plunder. And do you not think they're not going to try to kill each other off along the way? Absolutely they are. They're going to start killing each other off because I want the booty. I want the wealth. You don't need it. You, I've gotten where I, you've got me where I need you to, now I can kill you off. So the Lord tells them ahead of time, he's like, even though I'm going to cause this to happen, before you even get there, brother against brother, you're going to kill yourselves. You're going to start cutting yourselves apart with a sword. Like I said, in other words, the army is going to turn on itself. And then the next verse. And I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood. And I will rain upon him and upon his bands. And upon many people that are here with him. And overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself. And I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Notice he doesn't say I'll be known in the eyes of all nations. He says, I'll be known in the eyes of many nations. The reason this is important, when we get to the millennial period on our map, this answers the question, well, if we're at the millennial reign of Christ, I thought it was supposed to be all peaceful and everything is great. No, there is still people during the millennial reign who will rebel against Christ. That's what brings in the final battle, the spiritual battle. See, this battle takes place prior. And this is what... Hollywood has shown his Armageddon. Anytime you see a movie of Armageddon, what does it show you? Everybody fighting, right? War, nuclear war. We don't know what it is. I mean, 39, when we get into that chapter, it does give us some pretty good descriptions of how it's going to be. But this war here itself does not go on while Christ is here. It's not during the millennial reign. It's before it. But then there's a battle after the millennial reign. And that's the spiritual battle. That's the final battle. And we'll get into that later. So basically, 38 lays out this to us. 
it tells us, it gives us the location of all of the countries that are involved in this. The reason this is important is if you watch today, you can see this cut laying out. How many times have you seen Russia trying to push its borders? Even recently, right? How many times? How? Who's, does, does Putin stop or listen to anyone? You, even when he's threatened, right? What does he do? He knows it, right? Because he is all military power, all political power in his country. So, we see all of these other countries, which are Muslim countries. Do they like Israel? Would they love nothing more than to go after Israel? Does Russia supply these countries? Everything in this chapter is already laid out. All that's got to take place is the hook. And like I said, could the hook be the, all of this prosperous wealth that Israel's finding? Could be, I don't know. I, it doesn't tell us. So I can't tell you what it is. I can just tell you what we see going on and how much it follows this chapter to a T. If you watch the news today, I mean, on it, well, right now, you ain't heard nothing about anybody over there because the only thing you hear on the news is either election or coronavirus. And a matter of fact, I think that's one away now, too, because I didn't talk about it. I haven't heard one thing on the news about coronavirus. So it must have went away. Um, although they did say get your flu shot because I did see this. Make sure if you don't have your flu shot, you have a better chance of getting coronavirus, which made absolutely no sense to me. But they didn't say that. But the point of the matter is, now that you know where these countries are, and we were told that they will be involved in this, you can watch them now and see history as it's going along, and you can see these events starting to happen. I can tell you this right now. If Israel cuts into Russia's wealth, it's not going to be pretty, because Russia is not going to stand for that. And right now, Russia has no care of this lip. In the mind of, oh, another thing I wanted to point out, it had to be called Russia, too. It couldn't be called the Soviet Union. We'll see that later in chapter 39. It had to be called Russia. It could not be called the Soviet Union. So that change from Soviet Union to Russia was also necessary to make, to make the plan go. When we get into 39, because, see, in the Soviet Union at the time, that was a communist-led company, right? country, right? Okay. These countries down here would have nothing to do a communist country because they're Muslim and they don't believe in the communist way of life. But now Russia is no longer the Soviet Union. They're considered a nation. They're considered not non-communist. So now they have more ability to make deals with these Islamic countries, if you want to put it, because they have... When it was the Soviet Union, could they be in the UN? Were they in the UN as the Soviet Union? Anybody remember? When, when they were the Soviet Union, they did not partake in any world events. They didn't become part of, they weren't, they didn't consider themselves in the UN as a world power. They were, they were very powerful and very controlling, but they weren't able to be part of any NATO, Greenpeace, they couldn't become part of anything. But as Russia, as a 
a, a non-communist nation, they can become part of all of this stuff. The reason it had to happen is because the Bible says there's going to be one world government. Well, they had to change from Soviet Union to Russia, but the one, they could not have been part of that. So that's one of the reasons why they had, it had to happen. So we get Cog. We know who it is now. Magog, we're going to talk more of them. The next chapter, okay, and we're going to talk a little bit about it, and I'm not going to talk too much about it tonight, but it starts off in chapter 39. The, the actual title of this is The Cog's Armies Are Destroyed. And 39 says this, And you, son of man, that's Ezekiel, prophesy against Cog. So he's telling Ezekiel, okay, now you're going to give another prophecy. I want you to prophesy against Cog. And say, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Cog, the prince of Rosh. That's why I put Rosh up there, so you guys knew what it was talking about. Meshesh and Tubal. And I will turn you around and lead you on. So you see another one. God's like, now I'm going to turn you around again, and I'm going to lead you on now. So first in the beginning, he hooks them. And the hook implies it's, it's, it's a catching. So the hook has to be something that Rosh or Cog, was not expecting. wasn't something they were paying attention to. The whole idea is they're looking this way, they could care less what's going on there, they're going along and they get snagged by something. But here, in this verse, God doesn't snag them, he says, I'm going to turn you around. And then it goes, it says, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am Cog, the prince of Rosh and Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around and lead you on bringing you up from the far north and bringing you against the mountains of Israel, then I will knock the bow out of your left hand and cause the arrows to fall out of your right hand. Remember, Ezekiel is talking about a modern war. This has already been determined that this is the end times. So imagine what he's seeing and him trying to describe it. It's seeing something that he's never seen before, trying to describe it. So all of, most of us scholars and theologians of the Bible have taken what he's written here, and the word bow and arrow seems to be along the lines of missiles. And then we talk about it, how many times have missiles been shot at Israel and never get there? How many missiles have actually landed in Israel? What's that? Nine? How's that possible? How is that possible? You tell me all these countries are firing missiles all the time at Israel. How come they're not hitting Israel? So here in this battle, God says, I'm going to turn you and your, all your, let's say, missiles or whatever are going to be coming in. I'm going to knock them down. So he's already telling them, I brought you here. I made you think these evil thoughts. I brought you down here. Now I'm going to put you against the mountains of Israel and I'm going to destroy you. And he says, Then I will knock the bows out of your left hand and cause the arrows to fall out of your right hand. You shall fall upon the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops and the people who are with you. I will give you to birds of prey of every sort and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. That is some harsh language. He's telling them basically that you're going to come down here thinking you've got this because you know what? In man's eyes, this will look like it's an overdone battle for Israel. You picture all of these countries right now, today. All of them get together and decide, I'm going after Israel. Anybody in their right mind would look at that and say, Israel's done. We're talking 
Rosh Tubal, Mishesh, Mekad, Gomer, Tashish, Tukulat, Persia. We're talking about major powerful countries and being provided by one of the most powerful in that region coming at Israel, and in everybody's eyes, Israel's done. But God's telling him right here, this is the other side of the prophecy, he says, is I'm going to put you against the mountains of Israel. I'm going to stop your weapons. You've already killed half yourself anyway with your own swords. I'm going to stop your weapons, and you're going to be destroyed to where the birds of prey are going to eat your body. That's pretty harsh language. Nobody would ever think that that would happen. That would be like, put in our terms, it's our country. 49 of the states revolt against one. And, and that one state wins. That's not even possible. So he's telling them here, this is what's going to happen. In our eyes, it's going to look impossible. But God's already said it's going to happen. And he goes, You shall fall upon the open fields, for I have spoken. I love that language here. It's like, you're going to fall along, you're going to die in these fields. Why is it going to happen? Because I said it's going to happen. There's no, I don't need to give you the method, I don't need to tell you anything about it. It's going to happen because I have spoken. That's some powerful language. That's kind of like Paul, when Paul says, I am convinced, when Paul uses that word all the time. That's not like, yeah, I know it's cool, after we talk about it. That means every part of my being believes I'm convinced. The word here is God saying, you don't need an explanation. You don't need to know how it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Why is it going to happen? Because I have spoken. Just like in the beginning when he, started, when he created the earth, what did it say? God spoke. So he goes a little farther. For I have spoken, says the Lord God. And I will send fire on Magog and on those who live in security in the coastlands. Hmm. Then shall they know that I am Lord. So basically what he's saying is, picture this, they're all down here, right? They've all got together, they've made that trip, and they're over here, and they're just right here in Israel. And, you know, Israel's surrounded by what? Mountains, right? And he says, I'm going to put you against the mountains of Israel. So they're all against the mountains of Israel. He's knocked all their weapons down. They can't shoot a bow. It's all falling on top of them. So I'm sure people are going to die in that way. So he tells them they're all going to die here, get eaten in the field. The birds are going to come eat them. And then I'm going to rain fire on you and anybody who was involved. So that means anybody that would even conspire with this coalition to go against Israel is going to get fire rained out upon them. That's some harsh language. And he says the reason he's going to do this is so they know that I am the Lord. But he also said, many nations will know I'm the Lord. He did not say all. Because there are going to be nations who are going to go against him. And they are still going to stand in this. I don't understand how. I don't know how anybody could not believe at this point. But apparently, it's, well, no one I can. Because I look at the world today. And it doesn't take long to make somebody believe something, even if something's right in their face. And once they believe it, there's no changing their mind. So, I, you know, I can't believe how this will happen. Because they're going to be so far gone in their thinking that the Lord's going to be in their face and they're going to realize we should have won this battle and all the nations will be like, well, you know, maybe Israel's a little stronger. It's just, they're not going to rationalize that it's God. So, 
I mean, even today, nobody says that. When we talk about Israel, how many successful attacks have happened on Israel since it became Israel? Can you name one? No. And Israel is very peaceful, right? They're very confident, although they're, they're confident right now in their own self. That'll change. They're pretty confident in their self right now, but not that confident in God. But for anybody who ever tells you that Israel is not God's land, this prophecy shows you that even in the end times, it's God's land. And there's a reason for it. So he goes a little farther. We're only going to get halfway through this on this one. It says, so I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel. So why is he doing all this? Why is he causing all this to happen? So Israel realizes who he is. And when they say realizes who he is, it's good. they're going to realize real quickly that Jesus the one they put on the cross is going to be the one that comes to get him. Where does America stand in all this? We're a mighty, powerful nation. Are we going to have any play in, I don't even hear our name mentioned in Revelation. There's many different views on this, but I've been through Revelation over and over and over, and I've talked to other pastors. Pretty bad that our name's not mentioned. I do believe that our country was originally founded under God. I do believe that even though we see a lot of evil in this country right now, I do believe there's a lot. Of, there's going to be, even though there's a great falling away as we get closer and closer, I do believe the United States is going to come to a point where more people are going to be coming to Christ in the United States because it's going to get that bad. Hence the reason maybe that's why things are happening. But another thing that we look at is, is the reason they're like, well, the, America wasn't mentioned because it wasn't known. That's one of the excuses that we hear all the time. Well, it wasn't known to people, but it's known to God, right? Okay, and God prophesied all this stuff. You think he couldn't have saw our country too? Um, two sides of the fence. One believes America's not involved in it because America becomes so evil that God destroys it. That's one view. The other view is America's not mentioned because it's not considered, it's just part of God's, it's not considered God's land, it's just God's church. So it doesn't need to be mentioned specifically. Uh, it kind of goes along with the rapture idea. That's why it's not mentioned, because America's been raptured and there's not many people left here. Um, I hold the belief on the other side. It's just my belief. You guys don't have to tell something. But I believe the reason America's not mentioned is because I believe America has fallen so far into evilness that I believe in, in the latter days of the time um, we're going to see a lot of suffering and a lot of, a lot of evil. That's why I believe it. Um, there's other places in Scripture that talk about things where we're not mentioned specifically, but if you laid out kind of the old maps, it does kind of point to our land a little bit. But we are not, you're right, we are absolutely not mentioned at all in the book of Revelation. Not at all. But neither is Canada, neither is Mexico, neither is anything over there. And here's the, here's the most important reason why. Because when God created Eden, when the earth was created and the Garden of Eden was laid out there, that Eden was perfect. That's how we were supposed to live perfectly, right? We do know, we don't know exactly where Eden was, but we do know it was over here. 
in that general its vicinity because of the descriptions of the rivers. So we know. So it began here. It's going to end here. That's why it's so important in Revelation. Is, do I think it's important we're not mentioned? Not really at all. Do I think uh, we're not in there because we play no part in it? Probably not, but I mean, it's hard to tell. If God wanted us to know, he'd have told us. That's my opinion. But I, I do believe what you said, what that guy said. I believe a lot raptured. A lot of people be raptured. But I also believe on the other side that this America is just not going to be as we're not going to be as nice as we have been. We're going to we're, we're turning into a pretty Sodom and Gomorrah country. I mean, we won't be a world leader. I don't think we'll be a world leader anymore. We're headed for that already. But uh. Yeah. So we're a coastal country. That's a good way to put it. Wow. <laughs> Maybe we'll be in cahoots. And we're part of the West, but that's this. What were we going to say, Lee? I was going to say, I thought uh, some references to the eagle in uh, Revelation was a reference to the United States. That's one belief, but according to the original language, the reference to the eagles refers to God's protection. Instead of a country itself, it's referring to protection. Because when God says, I'll lift you on wings like eagles, remember, in that time, the eagle was the biggest known predator they knew. It was the largest bird of prey they knew. So when God said, I will, I will lift you like eagle, they understood that the largest, the biggest protector is God. So that's what it's referring to. Um, it's, hard to it's hard to pick where America fits into this because we're not given information really about that. I mean, we can speculate that here or there, you know, like the idea you said, we are a coastal country. Maybe we're in cahoots with this. Who knows? I mean, I can see that. You know what I mean? But I just, I believe in the America, unless God intervenes and does something pretty quick, we are quickly heading to the Sodom and Gomorrah. That's one way I look at it. And uh, when we watched that movie, uh, The Convergence, it kind of brought that up because it comes into, think about it, what has to happen? There has to be an Antichrist and there has to be a one world order, right? So there's got to be a one world order. So in that time frame, if there's a one world order, we're not a power anymore apparently because we're one world order. And I have no belief that America is going to be the leader of that. Um, so there's a lot of things that have to happen in Revelation, and, and they don't talk much about America. So we just have to speculate. But I mean, I fully believe we are evil, we're heading to even more evil, but I also know Revelation says there has to be a one world order, so that has to happen too. But that won't happen until the Antichrist comes on the scene. And I've seen a lot of posts lately about people posting that says, you know, the Antichrist has to come before the rapture. Have you guys seen this on Facebook? Yeah. Okay. And a lot of people are posting it, and they're just copying and posting it from other people. But, you know, they're, they're saying, I've studied the Bible, and the Antichrist absolutely comes before the rapture. Well, I don't respond to those things. I don't, I don't get into that kind of debate. I just want you guys to know if you see it, we've already laid out in Scripture why that can't happen. In Scripture, it says it can't happen because the Antichrist... Now, he could be here right now. Okay, let me, let me clarify. He could be here right now, but he can't fill the role until the Holy Spirit is removed from the earth. The only way that's going to happen is when the church is gone. 
Okay. Now, could he be here? Absolutely. He could be growing up right now. He could, he could be anybody in any position of power. We don't know. But I just want you guys to know when you see stuff like that, just to don't worry about it. I, I don't comment on it, but it just breaks my heart sometimes to think that people believe the church is going to go through some of this stuff. Because I've always said this, and my, if that's the case, why? I mean, yeah, we come to Christ to be saved and forgiven of our sins, right? But who in their right mind would want to serve someone that says, I'm going to forgive you, but then I'm going to punish you for seven years? You know, and that's just not loving. That's not, a, that's not an attribute of God. So that's why the church won't be here. But this battle is so important to us because it lets us, we talk about time frames. We talk about how we can't know when he's going to come. And we don't. We don't know the date. If anybody ever tells you a date, run. Tell them they're crazy because they can't give you a date. But what we can do is with all of this evidence that he's giving us, we can see the seasons and the roadmap laying out before us and that'll give us peace to know, you know what, we've moved closer to the end. My favorite thing to talk about is, you know, when the, the, the bush that rebutted, you know, the, the tree that regrew, that's Israel. And Ezekiel, it tells you the dry bones story. It tells you the, the nations back together. And there's not like 15 other stories in between. It goes right from that, right to this. So in God's time frame, this is... It's, it's, it's this. Just like when I talked about the seals and the bowls. They're not like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break this seal, we're going to wait 25 minutes, and I'll break It's like boom, 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 boom. Matter of fact, the bowls and the trumpets all happen at exactly the same time. And they're quick. So I want you guys to get the idea how fast this is. But also how it's, it's all orchestrated by God. And it's going to look to the world like it's over for Israel. And then all of a sudden, at the end of this great, there's not even, according to the description, I don't even think this army is going to get to fight. It doesn't give any indication that they're ever going to be able to raise a weapon other than I will knock them down. So they're never, they're never even going to get to the well, to the, to the plunder. They're going to get to the mountains, and God's going to keep them there, and that's where they're going to end. So I love this. Let's finish this up real quick. He says, so I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let them profane my holy name anymore. Love that. Then the nations, now here he says nations, because you're afraid of anybody, shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Surely it is coming, and it shall be done, says the Lord. This is the day of which I have spoken. What he's saying in this verse is, this is the day that I have prophesied through all of my prophets through 2,700 years. This is what I was talking about when I prophesied it to my prophets. And it's going to happen because I said it will happen. That's like complete assurance. You know, it's not like we can't do, we can't talk like that. I can't look at Len and say, Len, you're going to do this tomorrow because I said so. You can't do what are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, if we talked to somebody like that and I said, you know, if we said it, so they'd be like, whatever, I'm going to do what you say. You know, so the Lord's telling them, all of this is going to happen because I said so. So it's, it's giving you an indication, and this is where the beauty comes in. God is causing, and here he is causing this. It's not more, it's more than allowing it. 
here because he is causing the hook to happen. So why would God cause it? Because it's part of the plan so they will know my name. And he said, so they will no longer profane my name in Israel. He's doing it to save his people. What looks evil in our eyes, to us, that looks like something evil. That somebody evil would do because that's how we view it. But in God's eyes, he says, what you think I'm doing for evil is I'm doing it to save my people. And, and that's hard for us to rationalize because we're a people who like to coddle people and we like to, you know, we like to encourage them. We like to be yes men. We do. We, we enable people all the time. We're a, we're a nation of people that likes to enable people. So when we see this, we can't understand in our mind because we wouldn't do this. We would be down there enabling Israel to, you know, I know you're not worshiping him right now, but look how good you're doing. Come on, that's what we'd be doing, right? But God says, no, I'm going to do this because it's the only thing that will save them. That's what's so beautiful about it. I won't go through the other half of this verse. It's 730. I mean, maybe we get a little bit into it. I don't want to get to the burial yet. Let's go to the next verse. Verse 9. Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out, oh, I love this, will go out and set fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and bucklers and bows and arrows, the javelins and spears, and they will make fires with them for seven years. The, the language indicates he's talking about actual years. So this is how massive, think, picture it. They're going to be able to burn the weapons for seven years. How many weapons is that? All of these countries, all of the weaponry that they're going to be bringing down against Israel, God says that when you die, Israel's going to be able to burn your weapons for seven years. And he goes on to even to clarify that. He says, um, for seven years, they will not take wood from the field nor cut down away from the forest because they will make fire with your weapon and they will plunder those who plundered them and pillage those who pillaged them, says the Lord. So the nation, all of these guys are coming down to attack Israel to plunder Israel. They don't even get into the land. God destroys them. They're dead. The birds are feasting on them. He rains on top of feasting on them. He rains fire on them. Israel will have so much wood they don't even have to cut another tree. Because of the weapons. And the idea here is the amount, the massive amount of weaponry that's going to be brought against the nation of Israel. That's why I keep saying. In our eyes, it would look impossible. It would look like Israel is done for. Can you imagine, just today, not, not even all the countries, just Russia said, you know what? I'm taking Israel out. And in all means possible, there's nothing that can stop them. Short of us today, the United States, short of us getting involved, right? Because Russia's a massive superpower. But God goes even farther and says, you know what, I'm going to make it even more impossible. Not only is it going to be Russia, it's going to be everybody else too. And there's going to be so much weaponry that they can burn it for seven years. That is a lot of weapons, people. That is a lot of weapons. The next few verses in the chapter talk about the burial. And I don't want to get into that tonight because there's a lot of detail in the burial of this army that lays out some pretty important things. So... On that note, everything we covered tonight on that, is there any questions on Cog and Magog or anything that you want to know more about or anything you've heard or anything? What verse are you stopping on? 
we, we're stopping at verse 11, right? Yep, verse 11, we stopped at. That's where they're going to talk about burying them. And I don't want to get into that tonight because there's a lot there. We don't have enough time to talk about it tonight. Anybody have any questions about this? How, how, is, that, how is the understanding now of what Kog and Magog are? I just want to make sure everybody got a good understanding of what it is. Because we've all heard it. And not a lot of people go over it. Not a lot of people know what it is. And we can apply, and applying it to today makes it even more relevant. Because I'm not saying, I want to be clear, I'm not saying Putin's the guy. I'm just saying he's the guy that fits the bill right now. You know what I mean? It could be anybody else for all we know. But it's, it's pretty remarkable. And that's why I said it. If God said it was just going to be Cog, you know, the, if it was just going to be Tubal and Meshach to come out against Israel, we'd be like, wow, that's going to destroy Israel. But he, he goes even more. Like I said, he adds in, you know, Magog, Tarshish, Gomer, Togomar, Persia, all of these other Turkey, Saudi Arabia, you know, Saudi Arabia's a friend, Turkey, you know, he adds all that in just to make it look even more impossible. And he does that because they will know my name and that I am the Lord, because only the Lord can stop that. Because there's not a human on this earth that can stop that battle against Israel. Only God could. Any questions? 